summer day Listening to the quarter to three movie podcast for Elysium. My name is Tom Chick. I'm here this week with Christian McCransky. Uh I'd like to just be known as the Meerkat. <laughs> and with the Elysium tagline, Kelly Wand. A par tidier. <laughs> Did you like that one? I've heard better. (laughs) I hate this podcast. You've changed. Not everybody hates this podcast. Kelly, real quick, I want to take this moment to just make a quick public service announcement. Uh, We are reviving our moribund uh, social media. So uh, check out our Facebook page. Just quarter to three. Uh, and please like us if you want to support the podcast. We love that. Furthermore, follow us on Twitter at, at QT3, the letter Q, letter T, the number three. Uh, also, we have a donate button. Please use that. We, we deeply appreciate when you do that. Um, and stand by for some really exciting news about the site. But for now, let's get on to uh, the, this week's movie podcast. Uh so we saw. Actually, is, do we need to do any bookkeeping beforehand? I want, I want to tell you guys about something that I did. Uh, y'all know who Paul Schrader is, right? Yeah, he's your that blonde guy you like from Fast and Furious. Uh, Paul Schrader and Paul Walker do have certain things in common. Which uh, one's better actor than Harrison Ford again? I can't remember. I always get this. Chance. That would be. That would, oh, I'm glad you brought that up, Kelly. <laughs> oh, Dwayne, Lord. as everybody knows, Dwayne Johnson. Better actor than Harrison Ford. I feel like I've made great strides in convincing certain <laughs> people who have been holding out of that fact. Um, Who's agreed with you ever on it? I think probably 90% of, of people who follow actors would agree with that assessment. 90% of The Rock agrees with you. <laughs> and that's a lot, Kelly Wan. That counts for a lot. It's more than most of our listeners. I will say, though, uh, Dwayne Johnson does not have a movie opening next week. Harrison Ford does. Well, not every man has an opening you'll enjoy. I'm just going to move on from that. Speaking of openings... <laughs> oh, God. Wait, you said you are going to tell a personal story about your journey. Well, yeah. Uh, no, I... Uh, so Paul Schrader wrote Taxi Driver. Uh, he did Autofocus, that uh, biopic about Bob Crane. Rick Kinnear. Um He did most recently... Actually, he did something. The last movie I saw of his was called The Walker with uh, Woody Harrelson playing a, let me see if I can get this straight, gay male escort to socialite women in Washington, D.C. Uh, and it's a, I, uh, I, I love the movie. I know Dingus likes it as well. It's an incredibly brave Woody Harrelson performance. He wrote American Gigolo, though, and isn't that just American yep. Gigolo? Uh, no, no, no. Just, okay. No, because it, it's, no, not at all. Uh-huh. But then he did his last movie, up until the one that I just saw, was something – it was some Holocaust movie, and I just – I don't know that I can do many of those anymore. <laughs> Only gay escort movies. <laughs> well, this was a Holocaust movie, but a circus performer, I think. Oh, right. <laughs> I wasn't quite ready for that. 
Yeah, okay. It's all coming back to me. Uh, but I think his most recent movie, which is playing at one theater here in L.A., uh, and so I, I, I was dying to see what he was going to do with this, mainly because of the press this movie has gotten. Uh, it's a Lindsay Lohan movie. She's in it. Uh, her male co-star, and actually he, I would argue he's the lead of the movie, is a guy named James Dean. And it's not that one. It's not the one you're thinking of. James Dean's last name is D-E-E-N. The poor <laughs> Whoa, Dingus, I wasn't aware that that was his previous background. How would you know that? Oh, I'm sorry, I was thinking of Peter North. <laughs> but yes, the porn star James Dean is the lead opposite Lindsay Lohan. Uh, the, the Wait, she's a porn star. But go on. I don't think that you think so. No. Person. Yeah, not yet, Kelly Wand. Uh, give it some time. Uh, Herbie, never mind. Continue. <laughs> uh, so anyway, there's a Paul Schrader's most recent movie that he he directed, and it's based on a Brett Easton Ellis script, which is kind of all you need to know about it. Uh, it's called The Canyons, and it had an infamously infamously troubled production because of problems with Lindsay Lohan, uh, because it was such a low budget. Um, and uh, it's 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 horrible, but it's it's fascinatingly horrible. Uh, I don't recommend it to anyone. Be, the, the most interesting thing about the canyons is an article that I think was in uh, Rats New Yorker, The Atlantic. There was some magazine article about the production where somebody spent time with Paul Schrader talking about what a chore he was having with it, uh, and it's a it's a fantastic article. And the movie can't possibly live up to it. But the movie just seems so just amateurish. And it's this sort of, I think it's supposed to be lurid, sexy tale about Hollywood and corruption and celebrity and movie making. And there's this terrible scene where Lindsay Lohan is having uh, lunch with her friend. And she says to her friend, when was the last time you went out to a movie? And her friend says, oh, well, we were at the premiere of – and Lindsay Lohan said, no, no, I mean going to a theater to see a good old-fashioned movie. And it's like he, he wanted to put in some statement there about the the what? modern cinema. Like and the, the player? That's his nod. Exactly. It's kind of, I think, going for that, but a more chintzy, supposedly <laughs> steamier version of it. And Lindsay Lohan, I guess I haven't seen her in anything in forever. God, she's terrible. And this poor James Dean uh, guy, I mean, he's pretty bad, too, and he doesn't know what to do uh, it, it, with this kind of performing. Uh, and seeing the two of them trying to act together, it really is like watching two people in an acting class do a scene or something. Um, but I just was so embarrassed for Paul Schrader, too. Even even Gus Van Sant is in this as a therapist. In one scene, Gus Van Sant... He's a terrible actor. I was aghast. I knew he had a small part. I was saying, okay, I'm watching all these terrible actors. Gus Van Sant is going to come along and maybe make a salvageable scene. The guy can't deliver a line to save his life. It was awful. Um, has neither of you guys heard of The Canyons? No, I've heard of it. I knew. I know who James Dean is. I was just curious if it was any better than The Girlfriend Experiment. Ah, very good, Dingus. So is that is that a similar problem with Girlfriend Experiment, that Sasha Gray just can't hold the movie, or... Because that so tell people what that is briefly. Well, I don't know that it, it doesn't sound like it's. First of all, she has to carry it. The girlfriend experiment, Sasha. Yeah, it's, I'm sorry, it's the girlfriend experience. Um, she has to carry the whole movie, and um, she's okay. And but she's with somebody. Uh, it's a Steven Soderbergh movie, and he's really, really good at getting a good performance out of somebody who can't act, as we know from watching Haywire. Um, but 
it's pretty painful to watch, but it doesn't sound like it's as painful as what you're talking about. There's because there's nobody who knows how to act in the canyons, uh, and even uh, you can see James Dean has some charisma. You can see that Lindsay Lohan has this kind of uh, sad quality to her that, <laughs> that could be, I could see being harnessed somehow, but it didn't work here. Um, but yeah, there's nobody in this movie worth watching. Uh-huh. If so. she remade Freaky Friday as a porno, you wouldn't have to rename it. I mean, get back to Harness Singer, Tom. Why couldn't that have been the tagline for today's movie? Speaking of today's movie, uh, uh, so, Dingus, what did we see this week besides going to the one... Oh, wait, wait. Yes, Kelly Wand. Just one quick thought. Did you guys see a trailer for a Cormac McCarthy Ridley Scott movie? Yes, the the attorney or the the advisor or the... The counselor. Oh, God. Do you know what the best thing about that trailer is? Uh... No, I don't. I'm stumped. I don't I know the answer. First of all, Dingus, you watched it because I did not. I closed my eyes during that trip. I didn't know what it was until it was over. And I went, wait, rewind. Well, I, I closed my eyes too, but the very beginning of the trailer says, from the director of oh, Gladiator and Prometheus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then, as right after the word Prometheus, Cormac McCarthy's name. You can see that on a movie screen in summer. Those are your choices, Gladiator and Prometheus. Gladiator's all right. Oh, it's the best picture of the year. Uh, the last good really Scott movie was Black Hawk Down, or Hannibal, whichever one was second. I think it was Hannibal. Hannibal, good luck. Nope, I'll stand by that. Better movie than Silence, The Lambs. Like oh, speaking of people having uh, traumatic uh, injuries uh, to their heads, Kelly Wand, why don't or no Dingus, why don't you tell folks what we saw this week? All right. Well, this week we saw Elysium, mm. an American <laughs> 2013 action sci-fi drama about a man without health insurance. It was directed and written by, oh, and also co-produced by Neil Blomkamp, and it stars Charlotte Copley. Mm. Matt Damon, Jodie Foster, Alice Braga, William Fichtner, and Diego Luna. Elysium is rated R for strong, bloody violence and language throughout. And no sex at all. Yeah, R-rated because not enough sex. There's not much time for sex in that movie. No, although it would be interesting. It would be great if the characters was, I don't have time for sex. Well, he said there, there is a reference to masturbation. Uh, oh, that's what? right. And oh, I forgot to say that. And a reference to masturbation. Yeah, he's instructed not to at a certain point in the movie. I thought he was instructed that it would be okay to. Nope, nope. He was specifically told not to masturbate. I thought that's why he was wearing that thing. I thought it was. I thought he said uh, you can still jack off. I thought he said he couldn't. <laughs> oh. I thought he said <laughs> we all. Kelly Wand, what did you hear, Kelly Wand? I thought he just masturbated for the whole movie. Uh, Elysium, Elysium opened at number one. It made $30 million, um, which is... Good? Uh, uh, no, not really. Bad? Um, uh, it's not good compared to uh, Matt Damon's other movies, necessarily. Uh, it's How no is it born. compared to Oblivion? 
Oh, it's below Oblivion. It's like uh, about 10 million less than Oblivion. Uh, it's good that it beat. It was a competitive weekend. Things like the Smurfs 2 and We're the Millers were opening. Uh, well, it were things that appealed to various different audiences. Uh, Wait, what was second? Smurfs or Millers? We're the Millers. Yep. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Why do I care? Wait, we were invited to the press screening of Smurfs, but not the Millers. No, so- we were invited to the party. Oh. Mm, I think there was a screening involved. I don't know that we were just going to... I, I think yeah. So, so Wait, just, it's to the party, but not the movie. That's, <laughs> <you guys odd. laughs> that's uh, cool. I'm not complaining. But to let like, folks know, we don't tend to get like a lot of. We aren't extended a lot of press privileges. <laughs> we do. It's, However, that's that's right. We have been invited to two screenings. One screening was for Smurfs too, uh, and and we did get invitations to screenings for This Is the End, the Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, Edgar Wright Paul oh, Paul movie. Um, okay. That. Yeah, so we got invited to those. We also, I think, received our first press copy of a movie, uh, which you can win <laughs> this podcast. Uh, we don't generally get – I get press releases every now and then where people want to tell me about a movie premiere or something on uh, uh, DVD. Um, we've never been invited except for those two instances to actual real movie premieres. But I was sent an email from a, a PR fellow saying, hey – do you want a review copy of Zombie Massacre, oh. uh, a movie directed by a couple of Italian dudes, but produced by... <laughs> Is that what it says in the credits? Well, you could say their names are Marco Ristori and Luca Boni. Ah, oh, that's terrible. But here's the... Here's the, the original moniker of the two. Well, the... The Zombie Massacre is notable because it's a it's an Uwe Boll production, and if you know who Uwe Boll is, he's a German director who has done some fairly well known horrible movies, uh, and he produced That's a movie. Uh, he produced Zombie Massacre, and he appears in it as George W. Bush, and that's not. <gasps> Wait, it keeps flipping back to being good again. Just as I stop listening, it is, it is not good. But we have it on Blu-ray here. You if you want, it? I did watch it. I watched it uh, with a friend of mine, and it's terrible. And I felt bad for making her watch it, but girl, here's, here's what, did the, she, what did she say about it? a friend? She yeah. said it was the worst thing she's ever seen. So, and she's blind. <laughs> JK. But the, the saving grace for something like this, and I, I watch plenty of crappy horror movies. I, I'm, I was okay with sitting through it. The best thing about it is it's got one of those making of featurettes. And listening to the actors talking about the movie and watching the makeup guys just having a ball, uh, and even the directors. I mean, they certainly enjoyed it. Um, my favorite part, there's some terrible actress in it who I think is positioning herself as a scream queen type. She's got some other horror movies to her credits. Uh, Uwe Boll apparently got a hold of her for this because she's doing some movie called The Legend of the Red Reaper where she plays a sword fighter or something. Her name is Tara Cardinal, and when she appears on screen, she's got no dialogue. <laughs> she has no dialogue for the longest time, and when she finally does open her mouth, you're like, oh, God, no wonder they're not making her talk too much. Uh, <laughs> and then when she and – and you think, okay, well, they obviously hired her because she's like a stunt woman and she can sword fight really well or something because in the team that goes into this zombie-infested area to rescue someone, she is the sword fighter, the hand-to-hand sword fighter. There's the sniper, the explosives dude. Uh, she's the hand-to-hand sword fighter. And then there's like super buff dude, cool guy, lead actor type who's, I guess, a jack-of-all-trades. But I figure, okay, we're, she's here because she's going to do cool sword fighting, and she can't. It's just adorable watching uh. the little moves they give her. And so in the making of bit, there's this part where you know they're interviewing the actors, 
and she's she's really endearing uh, ultimately but she's explaining about how she trained with the sword fighting and she's holding the sword up and she shows the sword to the camera and she's like now this side is the blade and this side oh no wait i think this side is the blade (laughs) (laughs) she totally screwed up she starts bleeding (laughs) from her jugular (laughs) what what i loved about that is that is she she's the one with the two katanas right Yes, two katanas. And the thing is, uh, he's not a girl. Well, he well, sort of wandered in and out of the room while I was watching it with my friend. Well, the thing is, when I saw it, I, I had already seen Elysium and Tom hadn't yet, and I was like, oh, katana, wait, don't say anything, shut up. Oh, right, Dingus, right, that would have been a spoiler. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we have here a Blu-ray of Zombie Massacre, a terrible movie, um, but a, a really endearing making of featurette. Uh, I watched it with, and then I, I threw it in the trash because I I'm not. I don't, I don't, <laughs> That's your pr- prize. Well, I don't want this on my trash. <laughs> I wanted to see it, but I wasn't going to keep it with my movie collection. Uh, Only so, Geddon goes on that. So the next morning, I found on my desk. Uh, Dingus had pulled it out of the trash with a little post-it saying in capital letters, "Why is this in the trash?" We should make this a a podcast prize. So if you want a copy of Zombie Massacre on Blu-ray, all you have to do is post in the comments section on quarter2three.com for this podcast. Because when we post the podcast, there's always a blog entry as well. Just post in the comments section that you want the thing. And I can't imagine many of you are going to actually want it. But whoever wants it, I'll just... I'll just randomly determine anyone who wants it, and then next week we'll uh, send it out and announce the winner on the podcast. And uh, uh-huh. please, by the way, please live in the U.S. Uh, you people in foreign countries, it costs—I I don't know how many, how much money it costs to send stuff your way, but I'm afraid this is only for our. Uh, no, I'll pay for it if it's out there out of the country. I feel bad. Wow. Oh, all right. Okay. Wherever you are in the world, one of the issues though is it's a—it's probably region locked. Uh, let me double check. No, you can get get a DVD player that plays anything. Okay. Oh, yeah, if you've got one of those. You know what? And maybe you just want it for the artwork. Maybe. Does the winner get Dingus's post-it, too? Yes. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> I'm putting it inside here. I'm opening it. Only if it's Soren Hoagland, who wants me to watch movies properly from now on. There, it is now inside. <laughs> Yui Ball will answer it if he wins. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's see. Uh, as I mentioned, Elysium, number one, $30 million. Uh, it was not very well-received critically and oh good lord did i just close my browser <laughs> um oh no sorry here we go uh on metacritic uh which is the average rating from various reviews elysium is at 60 on rotten tomatoes which is the percentage of reviews that are positive elysium 65 percent of the reviews ah, full 60s positive yeah that's what i call it when there's two <laughs> Well, Kelly Wand, how, what do you call it when you when you do a plot synopsis of Elysium? What do you think I call it? What's your guess? I think you call it an Elysiopsis. Yeah. That's an easy one, huh? Yep. So, I Kelly can't... Wand, I want you to drive it like you stole it. Because you're a very good friend. Uh, oh, yeah, I wrote something down while you were talking about the movie chick. Screen queens are hired for their volume. <laughs> so she doesn't need to act. Um, I kind of disagree with that. There are some scream queens who uh, they're queens of screaming, not talking. Well, I don't. 
we should get into this at some point. But I, I believe, you know, there, there's a whole aesthetic behind it. Like a scream queen really has to have presence. You don't just get some actress with, with breast implants and, and, uh, and a pretty face. I mean, a scream queen really has to show and, and, I could list a few, but it has to show this capacity for horror. They have to be able to act to a certain degree. Uh, I agree with you on the breast implants. <laughs> so is Shalon Simmons a screen queen? Uh, I don't think she can act. Uh, no, she's just a cute blonde That's... chick who's been in a couple of horror movies. Um, but hot girls are always so anyway, so in a way it's like... There's an, there's an, ar- there's an argument to be made that uh, Angela Bettis, Dingus, is, is a, <sighs> oh. a bit of a screen queen, but she's like an art house scream queen. She doesn't scream in May. She causes screams. Uh, that's that is true. Uh, but I think that's uh, that's one movie one. the idea of a scream queen is is not necessarily to be taken literally. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite ones, uh, and she's grown up doing horror movies. There's a series called Ginger Snaps uh, oh, about wait, young girls. So Pardon. Angela Bettis is from Ginger Snaps. No, let me let me finish. Uh, there's a series called Ginger Snaps about a, a pair of girls and their relationship, and one of them is a werewolf. And one of the young girls from the Ginger Snaps movies, she's been in, I think, all is there four of them. She's grown up, uh, and her name is Catherine Isabel. Uh, she was recently in a movie called American Mary, where she plays a surgeon who does like weird body art on people. Uh, and she's a great scream queen. She's got presence. She has this great black sense of humor that comes through when she does horror movies. Uh, and I don't, I you know, I couldn't tell you what her breasts are like. Like I don't think of her. As, like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's not cheesecake. It's not Eat simple cheesecake. There, there's more to it than just the cheesecake factor. That's so true. So, at any rate, that's you know that that's uh, so Kelly Wand. Uh, I want you to drive the Elysiopsis like you stole it. Elysiopsis. A bunch of shit I wrote baked at the last second, vaguely pertaining to the science fiction movie Elysium. The time, the future. Actress Jodie Foster owns a satellite full of rich people with constant skin cancer issues that get fixed in the same tanning bed they get the cancer from. Onworlders are so poor that L.A. now covers the whole Earth. They eke out meager existences, making robots to oppress them. Sometimes the hobos try to ride torpedoes to the satellite, even though the magic tanning bed only works on rich fucks, and robots will shoot them even if they manage to land. But just in case the robots are bored, once the rockets are almost to the satellite, they have a guy who lives on a trailer on Earth (laughs) shoot missiles at the torpedoes from Earth. (laughs) Tech. It's like the poor people have all the advantages of that movie. Just saying. Rockets from shoulder-mounted rocket launchers move faster than shoulder-mounted rockets full of hobos. <laughs> Arthur Clark. Quote. One stamp. Right. I think that was Larry Niven, actually. Oh, nerd alert. I mean, Matt Damon was a kid once, so he has dreams, man. Or at least the same dream as everybody, which is a desire to move to a satellite and jeer at poor people. <laughs> the third person dreams as well. <laughs> the satellite's mostly gardens, by the way. Shouldn't they need more Mexicans? Ooh. Huh. Matt Damon's girlfriend's a Mexican chick who works at a hospital, even though hospitals on Earth don't do anything. Actually, she was his girlfriend when they were seven, and even though they live a couple blocks apart, he hasn't talked to her in 30 years. 
but we know he's slender because he keeps a tattoo of a circle and a couple letters, even though we can't read. She drew in Paul Point on his butt hump, and it's still there, same size in adulthood, along with the nine million other tattoos from subsequent love interests. <laughs> Matt Damon has to dig it. You know, you had so much energy launching you know, Kelly it's gone forever. I'll never recover it. Star recording again. It won't help. I mean, Matt Damon has to get up at 5 a.m. to go to work, although in the future the sun rises at 3. He lives in some concrete rubble and part of a wall because in the future only rich people understand construction in space. So Mexican dudes throw beer cans at him. He laughs and goes, why? Because I work for a living? They're all, yeah, and throw pieces of his house at him. Some kids try to mug him because he's wearing a jumpsuit, but he laughingly upends one of them till a gold coin falls out, then teases them with it, then throws it away. He smiles nostalgically as they all claw each other to pieces over it. He's all, I was young once. See, some old Mexican lady gave me a locket with a picture of the earth in it. Guess she got on the satellite somehow, huh? But the kids aren't listening. They're still busy clawing. Even though nobody has jobs or gets paid, he has to wait in long line for a bus. To keep slum life efficient, some cop bots show up and start hassling and beating the shit out of everybody. Although he's bald, Matt Damon always takes a giant handbag full of shampoo to work every day. <laughs> I didn't understand that. That happened. Anyway... When the robots come up to Matt Damon and ask him what's in his purse, it's happily all shampoo. <laughs> take his arm and thank him for his service. He's, damn, I don't know not to smart off to those robots if I'd worked at a robot-making plant. Call <laughs> oh, me. Oh, wait, I... He goes to the hospital for his arm. Since heel tech's exclusive to space, the Mexican chick sprays some Windex on it. <laughs> He's all, hey, remember when you drew that circle on me? She's all, what's a circle? That Windex will be a million dollars, by the way. He goes to the DMV where a mannequin robot goes. Getting arm broken by robots is violation of parole. Please report for retardation sometime this weekend. He's all, you look like that cabbie from Total Recall with Arnie, huh? <laughs> it's all, being in this movie as a felony. Please report for sterilization after dying of natural causes. He goes to work, where his job's to irradiate Terminators, but the door gets jammed. His boss is all, get in there and irradiate yourself, or I'll hire Affleck. He irradiates himself, and now it's five days to live. A doctor robot mistakes him for the malfunctioning door and gives him some Flintstone vitamins. Meanwhile, on the satellite, Jodie Foster tells Christopher Walken, hey, run a computer program that makes me president of the satellite for 200 years. He's all, all right. Matt Matt Damon goes to see his Latino friend with a cane to get a ticket to the satellite so he can fly up there and get shot. The guy's all, okay, but only if you shoot down Christopher Walken's seaplane and steal a license plate number from his head. Matt Damon's all, all right, wait, what? How? I'm dying from radiation poisoning. Seems like a dumb time to do this. The guy's (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay, first we'll weld these heavy egg beaters to your brain and arms. They'll really slow you down. He shrugs. Matt Damon's all right. Jodie Foster fires Charlotte Copley for doing what she said. So she rehires him, and he does what she says again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
understand this movie. <laughs> the Egg Beater mission's a success in that Charlotte Copley and his two bald sidekicks show up and shoot everybody except for Matt Damon. They trick his exoskeleton by stabbing him in the stomach. He tricks them back by running away and them losing interest. Although he's the only six-foot-tall dude wearing an egg-beater suit, dying of radiation sickness, the site of New Barstow. Everybody leaves him alone till he gets to the hospital gutter the Mexican chick likes to open doors near when it's... <laughs> New Barstow. <laughs> you always like the second thing. That's what I've noticed about you, Dingus. It's interesting to me. <laughs> Did you catch all that? I mean, sees him home and sprays Windex on his stab wounds and in his eyes and his balls. She's all, my connections are probably better than yours, even if you weren't public enemy number one. But please take my daughter to the satellite and put her in a tanning bed, even though they wouldn't work on her. He's all, no, but thanks for the Windex. I have to go to somewhere. He starts to <laughs> But the sick kid tugs at his egg beater and goes, you have bandages? I have leukemia and my mom's a nurse, so I don't know why I'm asking. Then she makes him listen to a story about a hippopotamus and heckle and jackal before he leaves. He's a cool story, but what's a sick kid? Sidebar, Ohio dote. <laughs> my mom went to her high school reunion in Ohio this week. She told me that a bald old man wearing a name tag that said John Wallace on it hugged her in a crowded room beforehand and said, I didn't have many friends here but really wanted to come. My stepdad took a picture of them together. She didn't see him for the rest of the night. But the next day, going through the alumni yearbook, they found his picture at the back with the words in memoriam because he died that year. The picture of them together was the only one missing from the roll. <laughs> Uh, it's all true, by the way. When I asked how he'd smelled when she hugged him, which is my first question, she goes, like an old man, did my mother hug a ghost at her high school reunion, or did two people in their 60s not know how to use a digital camera? <laughs> Lake Ohio. Decide for yourself, Internet, or remain undecided. The indecision's yours. Matt Damon tricked Charlotte Copley into flying him to the satellite by holding a grenade with a blast radius of three inches. <laughs> by his own face. Matt Damon's face. Not Charlotte Copley's face. That's his threat. Because it might hurt the brain. Keep that in mind. That's the threat, is he might blow up his own brain with that grenade if it goes off near his face. Kelly went on forever. Just as they're about to land, Charlotte Copley tricks him back by forgetting about the grenade and getting his face <laughs> off. There's a suspenseful moment when the Mexican chick they brought along for no reason gets stuck in her seatbelt, but luckily Matt Damon uses his hand to unbuckle it. <laughs> She's like, let me out of here. Then, according to plan, they all get captured. Jodie Foster takes the Mexican chick to the safest place on the satellite to keep a prisoner, an armory full of guns and rocket launchers. In. <laughs> what can go wrong? Then she continues giving a sense of how her 200-year-long presidency would have gone by going to confront Charlotte Copley without any guards and yelling in his face and getting stabbed in the chin. 
<laughs> See that coming? Oh yeah, Cecil Copley's alive again. Even though his face got blown to shit, his brain was somehow untouched, even if dead. <laughs> so the tanning bed brings him back to life. Guess he's a citizen because it works. It even restores his beard to the exact same length. <laughs> Did rich people make the tanning beds? Instead of killing Matt Damon, the bald guy staples Charles O'Copley in a deg beater suit, too. Then the sidekicks split up to get killed by Matt Damon together. <laughs> Did you hear how bored Kelly Watt just got with this enough? It wasn't acting on my part. I'm more of a scream queen. Shouto Copley tricks Matt Damon by attacking him with a guardrail, but Matt Damon hits a button that says nozzle spray on his arm that does something, and it drops Charlto over a railing and into a shaft, and it's in a disguise as a grenade, and blows off his face again. Yeah, what a what similar send-off to the... Pretend I didn't botch that. Kelly whined. A guy sticks a zip drive into Matt Damon's ear, which makes Christopher Walken's license plate make the satellite reboot so the cop bots aren't allowed to shoot anybody for now, and also sends three shuttles down to Earth to cure billions of people of skin cancer and poverty. One rich guy's all, re-reboot and it'll take at least ten seconds. Damn you, Matt Damon. But Matt Damon's outsmarted them again by dying from circular tattoo infection. Oh, yeah, the satellite's name's Elysium. The end. <laughs> uh, we've all seen District 9, right? Did we? I think we even did it on this podcast. So, yeah, Kelly Warren, you've seen District 9. I don't think we did it on this podcast. No, we didn't. What? Well, I think we started the podcast a few months after District 9. How old is District 9? Mm, as a movie or a district? Nine. <laughs> no, it was uh, 2008. That's how long we've been doing this. Oh, man, I didn't realize it had been that long. I know. All right. We're old. What has Neil, well, Neil Blomkamp been doing all this time? Elysium? Uh, Halo. Yeah, waiting for Halo to fall through. Wait, Halo was before District That's 9. what I thought as well. No, it was. It was definitely before that. But I think Wait, he's been so doing So, yeah, what has he been doing? This yes. was five years? He did a short. Um, well, that's three years right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no mathematician, but... No, he did, he did some sort of short with uh, Charlotte Copley. Huh, that's weird. Wait, he wasn't a team director, right? Oh, no, that was Joe Carnahan, the director of The Grey, which Kelly uh, Wand tra- is un- tragically unappreciated by Kelly Wand. Mm, that's right, yes. I said that, yeah. I think it's stupid and the worst movie I've ever seen. But continue. Oh, <laughs> I haven't seen Zombie Massacre. But uh, you're right, he hasn't done anything. But I thought he was going to do... See, I get... Uh, this is going to get me in trouble. But for some reason, I kind of get him and Del Toro mixed up a little bit. And I kind of was thinking when I saw Pacific Rim, oh, yeah, it's the District 9 guy. But then I remembered. Well, there were a lot of robots in Pacific Rim. I can understand that. They both like robots. That's very confused. Uh, All right, Dingus, you go first. You saw District – you rewatched early parts of District 9. I think you probably – we all liked it, but I think you liked it most. Uh, Dingus, what did you think of Elysium? Yeah, District 9 I think I put on actually my list that year, didn't I? I would not be surprised. I I wouldn't put it past you, Dingus. (laughs) Did you not like District 9? Of course I did. What are you talking? But not about? as much as you. All right, that's fine. I, oh, I, I like liked, I, I liked Elysium a lot. Which one more? I don't believe. Oh, District Nine a lot. I love District Nine. 
Um, Elysium, I tolerated. Wait, wait. You went from saying you liked Elysium a lot to now you tolerate. Well, it. if you're going to compare it to District, I think District Nine is brilliant. I think um, the way he uses the uh, resources he has to make District Nine is phenomenal. Um, and I love so many things about Elysium. I'm, there, but there are a lot of little moments that I love about it, uh, and there are things that annoy me about it. But I really liked it a lot. All right, Kelly, how would you weigh in on Elysium? Mm, I think I agree with Dingus, except that I maybe tolerate. It was really violent. I like that. Mm-hmm. But I'm sick. I think I'm really tired of these fucking movies where it's a dystopia and then one guy does something dumb and then it fixes everything. And they all start with the same. It's like, <laughs> like a name of a letter. It's like I am legend, B for vendetta, fucking Alice Braga. Same thing. It's like her role every movie. <laughs> and a kid. Same fucking thing as I am legend. Is that, I mean, she's typecast as the girl with the sick kid but don't you appreciate the r rating uh, a little bit it made me want to see pacific rim as an r-rated movie which by the way is probably a factor in why it only made 30 million uh, uh, good point very good i was grateful for it yeah uh and i did like some things about it i thought the action scenes were good and i at certain points i actually didn't know what was going to happen next but then by the end i felt dumb forever having thought that i would <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, well then I'll I'll be the bad guy here because I, I hated it. Um, I and part of that were has to do with how good I thought District Nine was, how smart I thought District Nine was. I thought this movie was just a dumb mess, um, and I, the worst kind of dumb mess is a dumb mess that thinks it's making a trenchant political point. Uh, so <laughs> uh, on on that front, man, I hate I didn't like this movie at all. Uh, I was on board with parts of it and. Uh, the action started losing me. I loved the aesthetic of it, you know, the competing aesthetics of Earth and Elysium. But overall, I just didn't like this one little bit. So let's get into it. Dingus, you mentioned loving some things about uh, Elysium. What would you say was your favorite thing about Elysium? What did you love most about this movie? Uh, easily my favorite thing is when the uh, robot gets blown up. <laughs> I wish I'd said that. I'm kind of jealous now. <laughs> yeah, Tom, you Which robot? Is it the, the one that gets shredded by the airburst? Gun? That's what I thought his joke was, was because there's 9 million shredded robots. Oh, oh I see. Right. right. I think. No, that's <laughs> not a joke. It is that when the robot gets shredded by the airburst gun. I love that. Yeah. Ocean one? What? It's the very first well, one. It's the, they give him one of the – and that's another thing with the aesthetics, too, is I liked uh, – obviously, Blomkamp uh, is, is well, very – is very influenced by video gaming, uh, and as a guy who's really knew a lot of video games, I could appreciate some of that. And part of what he's influenced by is this progression of different weapons and, and this sort of sci-fi gun porn in a way. Uh, and yeah, that first thing where the it looks like a rejiggered, a repurposed AK-47 or something. It's it's very low tech, unlike the chem rail gun up in Elysium. When he first fires that, there's this lovingly slow motion shot of the robot being shredded. And yeah, I, I quite like that as well, Dingus. I don't know that I, that's surely not your favorite part. Although, does that even like if that's if if that movie's in a in a movie or wait if that scene's in a movie with political points, I always go, oh, that's just for me to like look at it. It's not like part of the vision. Well, one thing I will give Neil Blomkamp credit for, mainly in District Nine, is that he, in District Nine at least is able to harness this sci-fi vision to a really cool, insightful political point. 
there's a lot of great sci-fi in District 9, and I think that's what sci-fi at its best is somehow relevant to us today and isn't just a bunch of jacking off a cool spaceship artwork or whatever. Um, (laughs) It is, though, because it it doesn't say anything, and Star Trek doesn't either. Like, it acts like it's... Like, it's not saying anything that we don't know. Well, don't get... Yeah, I'm not about to defend Star Trek. I'm talking about things like, (laughs) like, like Moon, like District 9, like Blade Runner... Uh, you know, classic good sci-fi, 2001. With ideas, uh, at least. Yeah, uh, and not franchises, you know. Right. Don't, yeah, don't get me started on Star Trek. Okay, I'm sorry. So I'm, I'm with you, Dingus, on, yeah, I, I loved that bit, but come on, give me something that I could disagree with. What's something you loved about uh, Elysium that, that you think I, uh, I'm going to be uh, just a big naysayer about? I'm not allowed to just hang my hat on that cool robotics. <laughs> so the sci-fi part. Talk about, uh, well, you know, the thing about when you talk about District Nine, what I like about it is the way that spaceship hangs in the background for so much of the movie, and the, I, what I don't like about Elysium is that how we start with this. You're, you're so, buckling, Dingus. Don't go into what you don't like about Elysium. Oh, uh, never mind. Um, <laughs> no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I love Matt Damon. How about that? Okay. He's, I, go he's ahead. bald, sorry. and he runs around, and he looks mm-hmm. huge, and then he allows himself to be buckled into an egg beater, as Kelly Wan puts it. Mm-hmm. And he spends the movie running around in an egg beater. I, I just like the guy so much, and I think he's good. And I love, I love Sonia Braga. I, I love Charlotte. What? Wrong Braga. It's Alice Braga. No, that's my fault. <laughs> Sonia Braga is the awesome Braga, who's the awesome. Uh, yeah, the, the, I love that the, movie. Kiss of the Spider Woman, right? <laughs> um, I love uh, Allison Braga. What's her name? Yeah, I love Charlotte Copley. I, mean, I think I think the actors are all very game in this movie, um, but especially Matt Damon. I really like him. All right, well, let me jump in there, and then we'll have Kelly Wan break the tie between us. Uh, I also, I mean, I, I love Matt Damon. He makes a fantastic everyman. Uh, it was a little weird to see him like looking like this huge monster early on, and I was kind of excited about that. Like, yeah, look, look how physical he is in those tattoos. Um, you know, we're gonna have, I know where you're going with this. Well, we're going to see him do some really cool stuff, and he's incapacitated for so much of the movie, and they. When they bring out the power armor, I'm like, oh, okay, there's going to be some cool stuff with the power armor. But they don't do much with that. I thought that was a wasted opportunity. Um, so Matt Damon as an everyman, he's not – like there's this weird thing where they show us what a beast he is. And then he's trying to be this kind of straight everyman guy just trying to make a living and get by honestly. And then he's just so – downtrodden and beaten and terminally radiated uh, and stabbed and recovering constantly. And he, he he's quite literally stumbling through this movie. Um, and if you're going to have this, this story about either a really big, muscly guy like that, and if you're going to show us that early on, or if you're going to introduce this idea of power armor, it just felt weird to me that he was... He was never really that powerful. Um, and, and furthermore... Any good everyman stuff that he did, I thought was completely lost in what I felt was enough overacting to get me through the rest of this summer and all of next summer. <laughs> Charlotte Copley, Jodie Foster, and whoever that Joker was playing Spider, oh my god, I wish they'd settled down. I just thought they were all awful and <laughs> loud and just fast, and I don't know if they were coked up or something, but all of them I just thought were terrible. Um 
So Kelly no, I thought Jodie Foster oh. was bad too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't, I don't know what that. accent she was doing. What about I think she was doing the accent from After Earth. The best thing you can say about Fickner is that he was kind of hanging back and letting other people do the crazy stuff. He's not in it much. He's not in it much, and he does. Fortunately, he, he's in a, a movie uh, by Quentin Dupieux called Wrong. Um, and Quentin Dupuy did a fantastic movie we all love called Rubber. Wrong isn't very good, but Fickner does a similar thing in Wrong, where he's doing a weird accent and he's small and quiet, and it's the exact opposite of what he did in uh, Drive Angry. And he's fascinating to watch, and there's a little bit of that here. So to his credit, he wasn't doing crazy overacting stuff. Don't breathe on me. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but so Kelly Wand, uh, where do you fall then on the actors and Matt Damon? Uh, I think I agree with everything. Like, Charlotte Copley's not a good villain, but Matt Damon's really good in this movie. And I, now my mind knows to associate Alice Braga with a movie I'm going to be disappointed by the end of, and in exactly the same way, because someone's <laughs> going to give their life for it. It's the same fucking thing every time. Uh, Jodie Foster's not in it much either. She, there's a lot of, she dies kind of pointlessly, I thought. <laughs> uh arbitrarily uh i think that's on purpose though yeah but fickner does too i don't know i just wish whenever i see fickner when i I was bummed when fickner bought it and it made me wish he would just be in a movie like this where he's the matt damon character uh kelly wants to see wrong i mean wrong isn't a great movie but it's the rubber director so how bad can it be uh, well, you'll find out. But yeah. what, what's great is it's it's a great dose of William Fickner. I mean, uh, that that's the reason to see wrong. Is there I get excited. I see him, and then it's like, Alice Bragg is in it too. So I know he's dead and the thing. But yeah, you're right about the power armor too. It's like there's no because in District Nine the power armor was amazing. Yeah. It was like he doesn't he catch like a, a missile or something with the claw. Oh, that's right. Yeah, very good. Yep. Well, there's no payoff for it in this. Uh, Dingus, I want to real quick hear from you about Charlotte Copley, though, because I, I think that part of what's going on with me is I really like the guy a lot. You know, I really liked what he brought specifically to District 9, but even the A-Team movie, uh, you've seen part of – well, there's a movie called uh, uh, Europa Report. He's just this really soulful, tragic figure Oh, I forgot he's in that. I'm not getting excited about it. And he's really good in that. And so it wait. was it was a little difficult for me to watch him doing such a such a, a character performance. I mean, he's doing a, an outrageous character here. Um, it's very exaggerated, and I uh, and maybe it, that was part of why it was difficult for me to watch is because there's something just so down to earth and soulful about what yeah. he's in, in Europa Report. Um, so, Digus, you've seen. Uh, was that a problem for you, or did you just like watching him do something different? Um, why did Why did Charlotte Copley not drive you batty in Elysium? <laughs> drive me batty! I just was so excited to see him. I, I don't I, yeah. I don't know what it is about him. Maybe it's because I like being able to say that's Charlotte Copley, and people go, "What are you talking about?" Um, when he showed up in this, and I didn't think about the fact that he would be in it. I didn't know. Um, I often don't look at the cast list of a movie before I see it, uh, because I don't want to know. And when we went to find, uh, when, when Jodie Foster activated Kruger, <laughs> um, and it was him, um, and I, wait, is that him? Yes, that's him. I got excited, just the way I did when I was watching it's Europa. good intro. Yeah, just the way I did when I was watching Europa Report, and I went, hey, that's, that's Charlotte Copley. And I, I just, I'm so excited when I see an actor like that getting work. And, I thought he was doing 
interesting and great things in this. I mean, I just like the guy so freaking much. Um, and I like the stuff that he was doing. I, I, I don't have a problem with him chewing scenery. I don't have the problem where the where the things went. I got the idea that he was running that team. And uh, and once the guys had to go and take his face and get it reconstructed, I got this sense because of the character he had constructed. And when the guys are saying uh, the boss is going to be really upset when we, you know, <laughs> when we wake him up, his brain is all right, that that he had already created this presence. I mean, I thought he did a great job. I li- I really liked him, but my part of that might be the fact that I just like him, and I want to see guys like that get work. I I, I mean, I, I the thing is watching District Nine again. He's he's so he's so interesting at the beginning. As I guess you know the way he's this sort of this nerdy guy who gets this right. job. He's not quite. Um, equipped for doing and he's he's kind of nerdy and he's and he's just so earnest i mean i love that performance and then for him to play this powerful psychotic character here i just like that my favorite thing about him is that he looked like one of those really old school uh, gi joe dolls <laughs> to to me he looked His like hair didn't. to me he just looked yeah. like somebody uh, like like Eric Bana's character in um, Black Hawk Down, like just some Delta Force guy who has to do all these tricks to get everything done, and he's just going to get whatever he has to, to get done done. I just really liked it. I'm as happy to see him as Dingus is, but then when he got he get when he buys it midway through the movie, I went, oh, that was surprising. I didn't see that coming, and I kind of liked it. And then when he comes back, I was like, oh yeah, because it's the third act movie. Yeah, like it was such a weird death. I liked that in a way. Uh, Kelly, one. What's something else you really liked about Elysium that I can that I can try to shoot down? Hit me. <laughs> the pop robots. Well, you know, I so Neil Blomkamp got his start doing I forget the name of it, but he did a short that he shot in South Africa oh, about Jay- these urban. What's it called, Dingus? Isn't Jayberg? No. Um, Isn't it the pre? Oh yeah, yeah. It, it might be like a day, another day in Jayberg or something like that. Uh, but it's a, uh, it's, it's just this short about these urban pacification robots in the town, in a township in South Africa. Uh, and it was really nice to see him playing with that aesthetic here. Uh, yeah, and those, those cop robots were pretty cool. I think it's a good title, although. Elysium's not in the movie much. We don't know much about it, and it does. There's no shot of it exploding or something. So it's not like I mean, it could just be anywhere. The well, thing that well, annoys me about that is I don't understand why his job is making robots. Maybe maybe some of that is annoying because of the Total Recall remake, where yeah, exactly. Yeah, I thought of that too. Colin Farrell's job is making robots, and I don't understand why robots aren't just doing this job. And we can't have something more interesting for him to have a job doing, or something more demeaning. I'm pretty sure the reason well, is that so that he can get trapped in a, he can get irradiated. But in Total Recall, there were reasons for him to work at the robot place, and in this, yeah, it was just for him to suffer a workplace accident. But Dingus is right, though. It could have been he could have been making pots. You know, it could have been. Right. Uh, the, it, it did seem like it didn't go anywhere because he's I, a car like he. He's supposed to be a car thief, so why would you put that guy in charge of the really important things? I don't know. Make Monroe. Or he could have been picking through trash. I mean, I mean, part of that is uh, maybe having just watched District Nine and seeing how much trash is in that movie, and how many people are 
aliens are picking through trash. But I mean, there there's so many demeaning jobs they could have given him that that corporation could have been in charge of. The the idea that they're making robots, I don't really get it. I don't understand why it has to be that. Well, Dingus, quit talking about things you don't like. Uh, oh, I me, apologize. I think, I think you mentioned you when you said you liked the action. Uh, let's talk about the action scenes. Who, who wants to uh, explain why he or she liked the action? He, I liked how they were staged, but I didn't get either time how he killed Jerome Copley. Like, did he kick the grenade the first time? But it was no, just, he, what? He, he pulls out his power, the power source from his brain, and then throws him off the edge so that he explodes from the grenade that he that. Charlotte Copley's character has uh, put the pin on. I saw them spray the nozzle thing, and I thought it was because... Spray the nozzle. Spray the nozzle. Uh, and then, uh, okay. But the first time was the grenade, right? Right. Uh, Matt well, Damon, both you know, times it's grenade. Yeah. Uh, all right, what were you saying, Tom? Uh, so, so the action <laughs> scenes to me were just really... Uh, I, I did like some of the sort of gun porn. The sci-fi gun play was kind of cool. Very video gamey. I enjoyed watching some of that. Uh, you know, the sticky bomb gimmicks, Charlotte Copley's shield, which is right out of a Halo oh, game or whatever. I love uh, that shield. I love that. Yeah, but it is that Halo, was, but that, that's what Blomkamp was going to make. He was going to make the Halo movie. Right. And here it is. <laughs> and it's got, got a ring world in it that's shaped like Halo. Yeah. Uh, so I, I kind of like the video gaminess of some of the ideas, but as far as the execution, I just thought way too much quick cutting, uh, way too much reliance on just a shot of a CG ship flying overhead and shooting things. Uh, I, I wanted some cool stuff with the older school cars and the newer school hardware. Uh, I, yeah, I was overall mostly disappointed in the action. And by the time it got to just dudes running around shooting stuff up on Elysium, I was really bored. Um, I, like I was so prepared to just have a really cool, exciting set piece when they converged on William Fickner's ship, and when that didn't pan yeah. out for me, I, I really kind of just checked out of, uh, in terms of being interested in the action scenes. So for the most part, none of that really worked for me. You didn't like the convergence on Fickner's yeah. ship? No, not really. I didn't like how it ended and resolved, but it was that, set up for, like, I go, oh, this is happening now, so the shit's going to go down, and then it just kind of fizzles out. Well, it does seem like just a lot of video game tropes, you know, stuff with the, the top-down view, like an RTS. And by, by the way, who could see how much about whom and why? Yeah, no spatial awareness, no visual flow. Exactly. As far as choreography of the scenes, I, w- I was really disappointed. There were obviously some video game ideas in there that I enjoyed, but as far as, like you said, Kelly Wan, the flow, the spatial awareness... Who was doing what to whom when? The the editing. Uh, I just don't, and I don't remember having that problem with District Nine. And maybe I just cut that movie more slack. But I didn't get the sense that Neil Blomkamp was very uh, fluid with action scenes in this movie. Um, uh, well, how how did you feel about the gore in relation to the action scenes? Oh, I loved that it was R rated. Yeah, and, and a lot of that too, I think, was the surgery stuff. Um, but I'm talking specifically like about exploding heads and bodies and that kind of thing. Yeah, I was fine with that. There's and a, oh, corners, like homing bullets and shit. Right. Shooting. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, without the R rating, I would have hated the movie <laughs> way more than you, Tom. But it, it bought me a little bit. I did get, uh, which was this? Was this? Oh, it was when Charlotte Copley uh, takes the grenade to the face. A woman behind me goes, nasty. Oh, that's her version of nice. That's the girl version. <laughs> I had a couple of moments like that during this where uh, the person I saw it with, with was like, you didn't see that coming? 
but I, uh, yes, I saw it coming, but I was just so like so, uh, freaked out by things like uh, the face getting blown off or a head getting blown off or a body getting exploded. Um, there are things that I saw coming that I still reacted to very strongly. Um, and I, I actually liked the action in this. I liked the, I, I don't really understand the physics of it. I don't understand why, um, how the atmosphere works on Elysium ring world. Uh, why, you know, the ships lie in and they don't have, there's no burn shown as the ships lie in or why when ships come back to earth, there's no burn shown there. I don't, I don't understand uh, why Ringworld doesn't have a defense of its own and we have to shoot rockets from Earth. I don't understand those things, but I like the idea of it. Um, I don't like so much that it's called Elysium and we're barely there. Um, Kelly, want to listen to Dingus going on talking about things he doesn't like. Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> There's enough there I liked that I, that I I liked it. I liked because part of it is that I like I like Neil Blomkamp's way of uh, shooting dirty, so that so that he's not afraid to make most of the movie look like we're shooting in a giant um, landfill and uh, not make it all look pretty. But then he doesn't show you the Elysium. He's only good at the dirty. He never shows you anything pretty. No, he shows you pretty, but pretty is untouchable to the characters he's interested in. I, I kind of want to defend him here because I, I do think he did a really good job, even though some of it was overstated, of differentiating the slum aesthetic and the high-tech Halo video game aesthetic. And, yeah. and part of that was, too, the slum aesthetic is very Spanish uh, in Elysium, and, that, and that's, a, that's this great future dystopia. You know, imagine that Los Angeles has, has been overrun by, by Spanish speakers. That's, that's, a, that's a legitimate demographic future. Um, and, and imagine that Elysium is the refuge for the, the Europeans. I think Jodie Foster was supposed to be French <laughs> or whatever. Uh, it's this, you know, on one hand, uh, Earth is a Mad Max vibe, and Elysium is a Kubrick vibe. You know, on one place, the walls are adorned with graffiti, even the graffiti writing on that, that parole officer bot. Yeah. And in, in, on Elysium, there's touch pads everywhere. You know, I really like uh, how he did, how he, as Dingus put, I love this phrasing, how Dingus puts it, I love how Blomkamp shot dirty and how he shot clean. Uh, that's one of the things I really did appreciate about the movie is the twin aesthetics. Um, so I do want to defend that. But then it ends clean. It ends with the Elysium. It's well, like that's, I'm just talking movie. about. I'm mainly talking about a production design perspective. Yeah. Um, uh, because as far as the message of this movie, that's where I really am about to let lay the hammer down. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, as far as the production design and some of the sci-fi porn stuff, I really liked some of that. I didn't think the Elysium production design. I didn't. I felt like I didn't have enough to go on. Like it only saw the inside of Jodie Foster's office. Well, you see their command centers, um, yeah. and then yeah, the rest of it basically looks like Malibu, or I guess. <laughs> it doesn't seem like that much better. It seems like the poor could do. It could be an Oblivion thing where they have it better than they think than their overseers know. Spoiler. Uh, all right, there's there's plenty in there that's good. I mean, I think that all that stuff in the labs inside of Elysium is yeah. fine. I think that weird sort of computer center of those pipes hanging down is really cool. Uh, I think the uh, the med the med lab things are cool. I think that a lot of that is really neat. None of that yeah. looked 
different fr- from the Resident Evil corridors to me. It looked exactly the same, <laughs> gray, chrome, antiseptic. And I think she wasn't French. It was just that was the cult. That was the language. Well, she definitely spoke French. The, she definitely. Oh, right. But she spoke French at the party. Yeah. She, she was doing some kind of accent. I don't know what it was. That's but they, the idea being that it was very clearly a European language versus the Spanish that Matt Damon spoke of, that, that he spoke, uh, and, and that was prevalent in, in L.A. But Copley's just speaking South African. He doesn't give a shit. Well, again, I kind of like that, too, because there's this idea. I, I do like – as someone who really likes Charlotte Copley, I do enjoy when his accent is in full bloom. Yeah. So yeah, I, I like, but I, clearly the idea there was that he was a mercenary, uh, and that – I imagine that's part of Neil Blomkamp's point about contemporary politics, uh, You know, mercenaries doing all the work. Um, but yeah, so I didn't, I didn't mind – his accent was one of the few – I, I did not mind his accent at all. I don't mind his accent at all, and that's why I don't think he's a good villain because it makes me want to like listen to him and hang out with him. <laughs> and so, well, I don't yeah. fear for him. For that him. whole just weird rapey stuff that he's doing with Alice Braga. It's just, uh, I just I know, and that's part of why I just. Uh, Even though he's set up as a rapist, he's we're told how horrible. Right, exactly, he is. exactly. And then he brings her along and doesn't touch her. It's fucking stupid. Well, he does. I mean, he's being creepy and weird. And he hits just, her in the face. It feels cheap to me. And well, I, it feels cheap, especially because then his henchman has to do a rape, uh, a threatening rape scene too. Right, right, right. It's just we're just going to play with rape as a weapon, you know, against okay, the female really? members of our audience, uh, instead of thinking <laughs> of something original. Nasty. <laughs> uh, all right, let's talk then about the the overall point of this movie. So, uh, uh, here's where I. I just so there's there's this fantastic game that I'm playing right now called Saints Row Four. Saints Row is like a, a bear with me, bear with me. Saints Row is this open world Grand Theft Auto style game, and the whole angle of the Saints Row series has been just just grand, gloriously comedic slash operatic, over the top action. Um, and in the most recent Saints Row, you start the game because there's there's nowhere for them to go after Saints Row 3. You start the game as the president of the United States. That's who your character is. Uh, and in the opening scene, you are walking through the White House, and you, uh, you're, go- you're on your way to a-, a press conference. And as you walk your character down the hall, every now and then people come up to you, and they ask you to make decisions. And one of the decisions is, do you sign a bill to abolish uh, hunger, to, to to uh, abolish uh, starvation in the world, or do you cure cancer? And someone holds up a bill. You know, there's a person on either side of you holding up a bill, and one of them says, uh, in starvation, and the other one says, fuck cancer. And you just pick which, and you just pick which one you want to sign, uh, and then you go down the hall. Wait, he's the pro. They're both anti-starvation, then. Uh, you, you can either choose, do you want to end starvation, or do you want to sign the bill that says, fuck cancer? Uh, so, and, and it's played as a joke. It's ridiculous. Uh, and then there are other choices you make. But I, I think that Neil Blomkamp made a movie about mean people who aren't pressing the button that deploys healing robots to the world's disadvantage. <laughs> yeah, they could, but they believe, choose not to. I think that Neil Blomkamp's thinks that somewhere there's a bill that says yeah. fuck cancer that someone isn't signing. <laughs> that's the impression that I get from the that, – that's the takeaway I get from this movie's quote-unquote 
message. Uh, it's so heavy-handed with this stuff about uh, immigration and, and the, the fact that it gets into health care. Uh, I was just astonished at that, um, and especially with how clumsy it was and with the resolution being so neat and pat. Uh-huh. There's a button that we need someone like Matt Damon to go up and press, at which point the, the, the buck cancer robots fly in the, around the world and, and save everyone. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason that bothers me is because I feel that it's a hugely important issue, and I resent when it is given such glib, superficial treatment. Uh, I feel that it is downright barbaric that healthcare in the United States is a for-profit industry and not a social service like, like education or infrastructure or, or law enforcement. But even though I feel that way, I'm keenly aware that there are trade-offs that we have really good high-end healthcare, the best in the world, and that this system, it's divisive in that it creates haves and have-nots. I, I understand that, and I feel it's an important issue that we really need to address, and not by assuming that the people who that, that somebody is not pressing a magic button. You know, there, there's a good movie out there somewhere about healthcare in the U.S., but it is not sicko that Michael Moore thing. Uh, it is not side effects, which Steven Soderbergh just did, and it's certainly not Elysium. Uh, so it really bugs me when an important issue is so poorly treated like, like this movie. So that that's my soapbox, uh, and I, I, I really resented the end of this movie, because I want people to be aware of the complex issues like immigration and healthcare, and I don't think this helps one whit. But every movie does that. Avatar. No, not, no. Well, Avatar is terrible for various reasons, but I don't think James Cameron went into Avatar. The, the message of Avatar was, oh, it sucked that we genocided the Indians. You know, and everybody pretty much knows that by now, and it's kind of uh, Wally. Um, it's the same thing in Wally. It's like, oh, we could, we just we made a spaceship, uh, but we couldn't figure out garbage. But if we go back and plant a cupcake tree, it'll be fine. Uh, I don't think that's the point of Wally. I mean, my point <laughs> is that uh, <laughs> it totally is. It's fat people. It's yeah, fat. I think. I think Tom is spot on here because the ending of this movie really pissed me off. Um, because I, I don't understand what you're saying here. Because uh, I don't understand what, what is supposed to be the limiting factor in not providing this health care. What is the limiting factor? Nobody's, nobody's mentioned at one point in this movie that if we do, if we do this, right. if we were to dispense health care to the entire human race, then it would mean that we cannot have this. This other thing. We can't have wine. We can't have the entire ring world. We can't have whatever. There's no reason that not everybody can sit in one of those huge hyperbaric chambers or whatever. There's no reason for it. Right. And and, and part of what really irks me, too, is that I feel that, that Neil Blomkamp did a great job with doing a complex movie about the otherness that causes racism in District 9. Yes. And and so when this, the health stuff started in Elysium, I, I was kind of excited. I was like, wow, this is what we're going to do. Awesome. Let's do it. And then as it just started to fall apart and they just completely thudded at the end, I was so discouraged um, that this is the guy who did such a great job in District 9 I am with a so, complex, sensitive issue. I'm so annoyed by that. because the thing is, you're saying things you don't like about the movie. I, I'm sorry. I, I liked enough about it to like it. But when we get to the end and they say, and then we're going to dispense, uh, you know, the, the computer says, uh, these are the new citizens, dispense Earth Medicare kits or whatever. And, and I'm like, you had these all along, why? What? 
uh, oh, there's a whole ship full of... What, why didn't you do that? The guy there's, has to die for it to happen. Uh, damn it. Or, or, there, or there's some sort of energy. Uh, if we don't have enough energy for it, there's got to be some sort of trade-off. But the movie doesn't bother to address that. This is the reason. It's just it's just a bunch of people who don't want a bunch of other people to have that right. And, mean, and, and we talk about... Um, there's this little political idea of... Uh, who gets elected because the you know President Patel is doing things just to get elected? I guess only by the people on Ringworld, um, and there's no political implications on Earth, and so there's nobody in Ringworld who cares about Earth at all. Nobody, I mean, it, or if they do, they get they get decitizened. I mean, I just don't understand why the citizens of Ringworld are holding back this medical technology if in the end they could have just sent it down on shuttles. I don't understand what what is the limiting factor. It's that they're mean. They're just mean. They're just mean. They're just a bunch yep. of mean people. They're all Jodie Fosters, except for President Patel, who wants to get elected. What? But and, now I, the and I now don't think that they didn't it. push that idea. And I think Tom is absolutely right, because the health care issue is huge for me. And and I think it's reprehensible that we are in a country where your health care is tied to your job, and we could afford better, but we spend the money on other things. And that's what this movie should be about. And now, all, all of a sudden, I hate it. Thanks, Tom. All right. Have I brought you around, Kelly Wand? Fuck starvation. One, two, three. Bye. I don't need a line to me. Got one eighty degrees and I'm cold in between. Counting one, two, three. Need a partner free. Getting down with three feet. Hold stance, guys. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm opposed to people dying. Unnecessary. Uh, I, oh, that didn't bring the. But uh, if that didn't bring down the room, let's do a three by three. That well. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry about this, guys. Well, no, it's a good topic, isn't it? All right. Well, oh, you guys, think already. How do you know I'm not trolling you? How do you, how do you know I don't? Think no, sorry for bringing the room. I agree. It's a good topic. I came up with it. Well, the, as far as bringing the room down on Elysium, <laughs> I agree. It's a good topic. I came up with. So this week's topic are uh, the best cases of dead pets in movies. And by best cases, I mean the worst, because it's used crassly in a lot of movies. Uh, it's it's a cheap and easy thing to go for. Horror movies love to kill dogs or whatnot. Or your uh, Matt Damon, pet Matt Damon. Uh, uh, what I want from you guys are instances where it's actually effective and it works and it bums you out and it sucked. And it's not just some crass uh, plot device. Uh uh oh. Mm. What? Oops. What? Did you do it wrong? Yeah. Totally. Uh, all right. Well, let's see what you've come up with anyway. So, Dingus, you're introducing next week's three by three. So maybe you've got a quote for us from your number three pick for best uses of dead pets. Uh, my uh, the only one I did wrong is my third one. Huh. And that and uh, this is the quote from it. Why would I not understand the context? I am the context. That's Benji the Hunted. <laughs> or, or Hal. Hal's his pet computer. And you're, uh, Tom, guess. Uh, I, I don't think I've seen it. It's mm, not a good guess. Orca. Alright, this is uh, the guinea pig, and we need to talk about Kevin. Oh, good lord. Dingus. 
Sorry. What's that movie? Yeah, it's a terrible movie. It's a terrible movie, and it's a terrible pet death. And the reason I chose it is because I'm just so... I I hate this movie so much, and so many people loved it and thought it should be on top ten lists and should have been nominated for Academy Awards. And there's this horrible moment where a guinea pig gets put in a garbage disposal, and there's no reason for it, and it's never explained. It's just an excuse for the director to use more of the color red. Uh, It's an icky scene. I'll uh, give it that. Yeah. What? I want to see that. No, you shouldn't. You shouldn't want to see the movie at all. So, for worst, uh, this is why I sort of uh, grooved against the uh, topic uh, for this particular one. It's a terrible pet death, and it really, really angered me. Uh, Kelly, one we need to talk about. Kevin is someone who uh, goes on a school shooting with a bow and arrow. (laughs) Well, that's he seems easy to take care of. (laughs) Yeah, you would think so, but not so much. We should encourage that. If you get a school shoot, use a bow and arrow. We could just trick them into right. Probably one that has like the suction cups on the tips of the arrows. Yeah, (laughs) do a shooting spree. (laughs) That would be great. Kelly, one. What is your number three pick for best or? Worst, uh, death of a pet in a movie. Uh, I'll do a line from it. Uh, I'm Luke Skywalker. By the way, the uh was me, not the acting. Uncle Uncle Owen and Nambaru were not his pets. And nobody yeah. thinks Womp Rats are pets. No, it's... Uh, well, Baru was definitely... But um, then rank the Rancor in Return of the Jedi... Oh, that's sweet. That's see, because you don't need to be cute. It's still sad when something dies and someone misses it, like that bald dude. Is that weird little? Uh, is that weird little cackling uh, thing that he eats? His pet. That weird little cackling thing that sits next to Jabba the Hutt and he eats it. Yeah, he eats it. He reaches into oh, a tank and eats no, it. No, no, no. Snipe yeah. doesn't get eaten. He's, he's just crumb. little. <laughs> you guys, what other name? Wait, what? I had his card in my Star Wars card deck. Yeah. Wait, you guys both apparently knew his names, but you said different things. Dingus, what Dingus do you think? Said is- it wrong. Dingus is dumb. What do you I say? Am, I, agree, I agree. I'm dumb. Size Noodles is the blue elephant who plays organs. <laughs> Salacious Crumb doesn't get eaten. His job is to cackle irritate. Wait, Salacious Crumb? That's the name of a Melville short story. Oh, see, Lucas is a genius. It's not really. Uh, all right, uh, yep. my number three pick is uh, this one still affects me, and I hate it, and because I don't want it to happen. Uh, and I've seen this movie so many times, and every time it gets to this part, I don't want it to happen. It's kind of like that bit in in Hannah where uh, her father's reading her the story about Laika, the Russian dog that goes up into space, and. And he says, well, you know, the dog dies, don't you? And she says, yes, but sometimes I wish you'd tell the story differently. Uh, I wish there was yeah. a version of Road Warrior where his dog doesn't get shot by a crossbow, by just some random henchman, too. It's not even like the big baddies where you hate him more. It's just some random dude crossbows his awesome dog. I love that little dog. It's like a dingo or something. I don't. What is that dog, Kelly Wand? Uh, I think it's a dingo at my baby. <laughs> No, it's the saddest thing, and the one in Dead Calm gets the same thing. It's like Australians and crossbow dogs. Oh, doesn't don't oh don't they crossbow their dog in the Long Weekend? That horror movie. Uh, I get that mixed up with Lost Horizon because it's got an L top. But he, yeah, the I was really bummed when the Road Warrior talked out. It's a great pick. I hate that. I hate those. But it's dr- always, I always kind of blame him though for it because don't the dog can. <sighs> And same thing with I Am Legend. Like, you're putting the dog in danger. 
because it'll just going to jump at anything that doesn't that smells wrong. So it's probably it's not bring up other. Edge. Yeah, you might well have done. scooped somebody. So I'm guessing. Oh, Dingus, uh, is that, that. is I am legend on your list, Dingus? Oh, sorry. Oh, it's my number one. Do you want to just talk about that? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's right. jump to I am legend because Thanks. Kelly Wan Thanks, has brought Kelly. up something. Yeah. So is uh, it is it Will Smith's fault that Sam Samantha? What's what's the dog's name? Sam. Yeah. Sam. The, is it the absolute best pet death? And worst pet pet death of all time. Very so, effective. So, so that, I blame him. I blame Will Smith for getting yeah, yeah, so that's right. Should you not bring dogs into post-apocalyptic no. situations like I Am Legend and Road Warrior? My dog died in Fallout 3, and I was really irritated. My bummed afterwards. Like, wait, yeah, what did I think was going to... Yeah, but did you have to kill it? Well... Good point. Uh, well, it's training to a monster. But that makes it easier in a way, doesn't it? No, it makes it harder. No, because you go, well, I only have a few seconds or it's going to get even stupider. <laughs> no, it's terrible. It's, wait, yeah, I don't know. But does it, does it know the pain of when it turns into a monster? Uh, Dingus, why is the I Am Legend uh, pet death your, your favorite worst one? Uh, for two reasons. One, I just freaking love that dog. Uh, and two, because the it's the it's basically the act break between the movie being a good movie and a bad movie. Um, <laughs> it's the last instance of it being a good movie. And, and it's three because it's it's such a heartbreaking scene because of the I mean I think Will Smith is really good in that scene and I think him having to kill his dog because of what's happening I mean it's a phenomenal scene and I love Sam I love that dog so freaking much um, and the fact that those other things happen that the movie then becomes an annoying movie to me uh, is sort of gravy for this particular topic. Um, but that, that dog is so great. I love Sam. And part uh, of what, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I, I think part of what, why it works so well is so much of the movie is spent on their relationship. Yeah. I mean, it mm-hmm. develops so much over the course of the movie and his concern when Sam goes into the dark house during that, that one scene, uh, we just spend so much time with them, and we see and them in together. The tub together yeah. when they're when they're whole, yeah. when when he's talking to him about when he's talking to Sam, who's a girl, I guess, about eating vegetables, which doesn't make any sense for a dog. Oh, that's right. He's with Sam as he would have with his child. I mean, this dog is his child and also his protector. And when that dog goes into that building, and he goes in after it against all logic to go into that building, that dark building after that dog. It's just beautiful. And then when he has to kill her, it's horrible. I mean, it's just so beautifully horrible. Uh, uh, yeah, good. Uh, Sam, well, I won't bring this up. And then what replaces Sam in the movie? Alice Braga. Exactly. <laughs> I think it's Sonia Braga, but nice try. <laughs> shitty mom in that movie supposed to be good with a gun but just hides in the bathroom shitty doctor in Elysium can't do anything so then next topic will be best use of bacon Alice Bronco Tom she she uses the bacon and then he wakes up he's like did you use the bacon anyway never mind oh and you went to I Am Legend right right yeah. Dingus what then is your number two pick Let's round out your list. Give us a line. Oh, what would your line have been from I Am Legend? An well, easy one or a hard one? My line from, uh, who knows? I don't care anymore. I'm just so annoyed with Kelly. <laughs> Does he ever say, I'm so annoyed with you, Kelly. You cannot understand how annoyed I am with you right now. I can understand. Here it is. Here's my favorite line. I like Shrek. Oh, that's my number one. 
fuck. <laughs> but I'm taking it like a man instead of bitching and moaning. Go ahead and take it like a man. Dingus, what is your number two pick for the best worst pet death? And maybe you've got a line from it. If he comes again, I will call him Two Socks. Oh, good lord. Uh, Kelly Wand, we're going to let him now talk about Dances with the Wolves. Oh, right. no. What? That's not a pet. Wolves aren't pets. Yeah, it is. It's his, they don't know that. His pet yep. wolf. Suck it. Suck it. Oh, it's hard. I'm doing it just to annoy you now, Wand. Uh, Dingus, I didn't, I didn't remember that the, that it died. I guess I don't I remember so little about Dances with Wolves. All right, well, what, what makes this like an dance that they have? <laughs> he doesn't dance with it either. You don't dance with it. Tom. <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, two socks uh, get shot at the end by one of the jerk soldiers, and uh, and um, John Dunbar is a prisoner, and there's nothing he can do about it. He just watches two two socks, uh, who's coming along with him, get shot by the soldier as they're uh, you know screwing around with their with their little rifles. Oh. So yeah, I, like, I don't like that at all. No, it's, no, it's terrible. It's a terrible moment, and you, you know Kelly has a point. It's not necessarily a pet, um, but they are companions, and there is sort of a pet element there. And so when Two Socks gets killed, uh, that's pretty horrible. Does he feed it? Yes. Then it's a pet. He feeds it by hand. Yeah, oh, totally a pet. Yeah, uh, way more of a pet than, for instance, uh, Wolverine's bear. <laughs> he didn't feed it. He I got fed I, I rest my case. Kelly Wand, what is your number two pick for the best worst death of a pet scene or um, movie? This will make Dingus feel better because it's kind of my dumbest one. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, uh, I always get bummed in movies when when people die in movies. I always laugh with delight <laughs> and in RL. <laughs> it's meant to entertain me. I see it. You can pay it for when I die. You guys can all laugh. It's like when pets die. Movies I always get bummed because it's always like a. It's either like a crutch in a dog's case, and in cats it's always open season. Whenever a cat dies in movies, supposed to be hilarious. Did you notice that, Tom? Uh, I did not. No, because I don't think it's hilarious. But cats are often villains. I mean, it's they're ridiculous. Well, there's one like eight-legged freaks where it's like fighting a spider in the wall, and then there's like these cartoon shots of like the wall. You can only hear them fighting because somehow the spider's making noise, like a tiger. But it's like the wall keeps like sticking out in cartoon cat and spider silhouettes, like it's banging through the wall, mm-hmm. and, and the cat dies. That's not my number two. My number two is my dog Skip. Uh, my dog Skip dies. Is that a spoiler? <laughs> Uh, this is probably one of those fake things. I don't believe it's real, but the movies are out at the same time. There's one of those pictures, and it might be photoshopped, of a of a movie marquee, um, of, and it's what movies are playing, of course, at the theater. Uh, and the first movie is Aaron Brockovich. The third movie is My Dog Skip. Uh, and the second movie is Screwed. <laughs> Wait, with Norm Macdonald? <laughs> And Danny DeVito. <laughs> Wait, which movie is this that has all the movies in it? What's the Umbrella movie called? <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, all right. So, I got my dog Skip. <laughs> my dog Skip. Good. All right, your number two pick. Good. Number two dog Skip is uh, 
See, he's like a dog named Skip, right. and um, <laughs> he helps the kid get a girlfriend and friends, and then, uh, but the kid gets mad at him, and he, like, hits him, and then he thinks he's buried at the graveyard, but then they bury him under the elm tree, and the last line of the movie is, is that wasn't totally true, for he really laid buried in my heart. And the guy wrote the book, he saw an early screening of it, and he loved it, and then he died like a couple days after, and he never saw the final cut. So anyway, it's like tragedy upon tragedy, the curse of my dog, Skip. Uh, I love in in movies when uh, the death of a pet is used, not necessarily as a metaphor, but to kind of mirror other things that are happening or to reflect them. Uh, And one of my favorite instances of this is uh, partway through a movie called Blue Valentine, with Ryan Gosling and um, uh, Williams, uh, they find their dog dead, and the she movie does. is uh, she does right, and she I think brings it. It's because her fault. It's because she left it out or let it like left the gate open. And the movie is about the relationship falling apart, and it cuts back and forth between when they first met and as the relationship is falling apart. It's a devastating movie, and to just pile the the loss of their family pet into what's going on in their relationship is is really powerful. Uh, and I just, I, I just feel so much for the characters and even the actors. Like you can't really watch that movie without thinking of what Michelle Williams has been through. Uh, mm. So I, uh, yeah. So the the poor dog, which I think was uh, not a Labrador Retriever. What's the fuzzier version of like a Lab? Golden. Like a Settlers. Like maybe yeah. some kind of Golden Retriever or something. I forget the dog's name. Oh, I do too. Rats. I should have looked it up. Because uh, I don't even think Max. Uh, named his dog. Like, I don't think you ever hear the dog's name in Mad Max. In Road Warrior, I mean. He he, he doesn't need a name. Right. Who else right. is he going to talk to? There's another dog around. Well, they have a very nonverbal relationship, right. which is what's cool. Um, like dogs do with themselves. Her name. Uh, Kelly Wand, we know we know Dingus. Here. Oh, go ahead. Were you going to say something, Dingus? I was just going to say I thought it was Megan, but I don't really remember. That sounds right. Yeah. But, uh, uh, oh, okay. Dingus, we know your number one is I Am Legend. I love that pick. Kelly Wand, what is your number one pick for the worst, best death of a pet? All right, so maybe I broke the topic because this is a pet we don't even really see alive ever, so we don't really have an attachment to it. But as far as like a story beat, it's actually one of the best story beats, I think, in any movie. It's the uh, Canary and Poltergeist. Do you remember that one? Uh, I do not. It's The mom finds it dead, and then... Carol Ann opens the bathroom door to see her mom with the canary poised over the toilet bowl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and she's all, eh. <laughs> so then they have a, a burial for the for the canary out back. And the little kid's all, this is for when she gets cold. And she puts all these things in the little mat, the cigarette box that they're going to bury the canary in. I think it's but, Tweety even. What I, were you going to say? I love that scene, Kelly Wan, and I love you reminding me of it. Uh, but I, I didn't, I didn't feel the least bit of. I, it was just how it was way too cute. Like I didn't feel any sort of pain for that that stupid bird. Like I couldn't have cared less. But, but Kelly Wan <laughs> was so cute, and Joe Joe Beth Williams just having to deal with her. Do- it was just one of those adorable family situations, and no emotional yeah. impact on me though. Uh, well, it, well that's why that a good pet death would. Well, that's what maybe I think. I broke the topic with like it didn't ah, I see. like I cried for a week after my dog Skip, but then later on the bulldozers like rake up the the cigarette box. It's like it's like uh, what stays dead not gonna like it's this cool. Well, I totally remember the little girl putting putting things in the in the is a cig- in the cigar box and yeah. 
and, and sort of narrating what they're each for. That's adorable. Oh, and then after they bury it, the first thing she says is, can I get a goldfish? Like, she's already over it. <laughs> yeah. It's played as a joke. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So it's like four laughs or great moments from one dead bird part. Right. That's pretty amazing writing. Right. Damn it. So the, so I think so as a writer I like that best even though but also too I like because it didn't make me cry like I didn't have that attachment so it's just what you were talking about well if my dog Skip I had, I don't want to be reminded of of how bum I would be if my dog dies was with the canary I was like oh cool the ghosts are coming so I kind of enjoyed it more so emotional attachment in this case means um, eagerness to see uh, ghost CG. Good. All right. Except it wasn't CG back then. Uh, so, uh, again, as an instance of the pet death paralleling, or in this case, bookending the action. Uh, when we first meet Kevin Spacey in Margin Call, he's obviously distraught. Uh, that's a good one. Presumably because of something going on with his job, and he's even crying a little bit. And it's because he's gotten bad news about his dog at the vet. And then the movie happens, Margin Call, an amazing movie about that. that it's an incredible thriller about incredibly dry subject matter, and it is no less exciting for how dry the subject matter is. It's about the financial collapse when it first began at um, at the mortgage companies. I forget, not Arthur Anderson, that's accounting. What was the firm it was supposed to be about? Uh, Enron? No. Uh, uh, at, at any rate, uh, it's all dry financial stuff, but it's a great thriller about that. And the, the final scene is is Kevin Spacey burying his dog in his previous home's front yard, in his ex-wife's front yard. And he has this great scene with her. Um, so I, I love how the dead pet is used in Margin Call. Uh, and I love you know seeing Kevin Spacey as this really tough character in the movie, too, mourning his dead pet. Uh, I just love the role that that fills in, in Margin Call. Do we see that dog alive? I think she might throw back the blanket. I don't know if we see what she sees when he's got the dog's body in a blanket. We No, we don't see it alive, but I don't even know if we see its corpse. Dingus, do you recall? I don't think so. So you're really reviewing a, a blanket with a sandbag under it. Well, you yeah. Okay. You're viewing his. Uh, that's a good choice, actually. Uh, we have several uh, listener submissions. Aaron Vaughn writes. Uh, he apologizes for missing the tree three by three. Um, and uh, let's see. So here are his choices for this week's three by three. Uh, Evil Dead 2013. Uh, already, Aaron. No, nope, don't like uh, it. That's that's one of the ones with, that I thought was sort of cheap and manipulative. Because it exists only to make you go, ugh, horrifying. Same thing with uh, The Conjuring. And he writes, does anyone remember the dog in this movie? The dog named Grandpa. In a very undeserved off-screen mutilation, this poor dog is one of the first kids to get it. (laughs) Uh, Animal death in movies doesn't bother me as much as how affected a character like David is when he finds and rescues his dog from underneath the shack. Actually, that is sad. Isn't it still alive when they... I don't remember. Uh, what's worse is that we know he suspects his sister of this act, a haunting thought. Sounds like Aaron liked Evil Dead a bit more than we did, though. Uh, uh, oh, look at Aaron's... Here's a quote from Aaron's number two. 80% of this floor was just sent home forever. What movie is that from? 80% of this floor was just uh, sent home forever. Psycho? Nope. A little movie called Margin Call. 
<laughs> Aaron writes, as if Kevin Spacey didn't have enough on his plate already, one of his first few scenes addresses his dying dog, who he claims to be, quote, paying almost a thousand bucks a day to keep her alive. I remember that. See, um, when you did, you said that, and it made me go, oh, something lands and hits the floor and splatters. I thought that's what you're trying to trick me into guessing. Nope. Okay. Uh, uh, Aaron says, I've never had a dog, but I think dogs get the limelight for pet deaths, being man's best friend and all. I think the key to an effective pet death is how empathetic the movie gets you to be for the character who lost their best friend. Great example, I Am Legend, of course, uh, which Margin called nailed. The movie closes with him burying the dog, kind of like an analogy or something, Aaron writes. <laughs> Uh, oh, Aaron, and he, then he does this. His number one pick is Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. The most tragic pet death of movie history is in the first few minutes of Ace Ventura 2, when a raccoon rescue goes afoul. Ace loses the poor guy over a dangerous pass in the Swiss Alps. This is sounding like cliffhangers to me. Yeah. Uh, Ace loses the poor guy, causing so much emotional damage that he goes on to continue starring in the rest of the movie. Uh, I kind of like that movie. Uh, and then, uh, let's see, he's got a bunch of runners up, most of which are Pet Cemetery. Mm. Uh, I'm not going to read the one where he picks the horse's head in The Godfather because it's not a pet. <laughs> and I, I have never seen okay. Boondock Saints, Saints, but he picks, apparently there's a cat shot in yeah. that movie. Uh, Nick D writes, hi guys, this time I came to armed with quotes. So, I love when you guys send quotes, but for the most part, I will not read them because the point of quotes is for us to guess them. Well, you know what? Fine. I will read them. I guess you guys can guess them, even though I see what it is here. Tom's bored. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Nick provides quotes for each of these, uh, and he says he does it. Actually, Nick, good point. So I will read these. He says he does it so as to lighten the mood somewhat. Oh. So here's his number three. Oh. God, man, but this... All right, his number three, uh, the quote is, I'm happy to help, really. I just don't want to impose. Uh, Why do you get to read it like that? (laughs) Because it's Michael Haneke's U.S. remake of Funny Games. Uh, Michael Pitt Pitt playing hot and cold with Naomi Watts until she finds her dead dog in the back of her car. If you've seen this, you know how brutally effective the reveal of the dog is. Yes. When you hear it die off screen... All right, stuff. here's another quote. Here we go, lighting the mood somewhat. Mm. Uh, I thought you were going to say the sun was in your eyes. That is to say, your eye. <laughs> God. Again, not a pet, but okay. Uh, Treasure Island? Oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yes, Dingus? Um, is it Popeye? Is it True Grit? Very good, Dingus. Uh, uh, oh, Nick D con- uh, concedes that maybe this is stretching the definition oh, of pet. But in that's the color, Coen- oh, that's uh, okay. Is that yeah. is it Blackie? Yeah, but in the in the in the Coen Brothers True Grit, the most emotional moment of the movie, well, is when Rooster Cog. Oh yeah, is when Rooster Cogburn rides Maddie's pet horse Blackie to its death in order to save her life. Yeah, a horse, not a pet. It's a mount. It's not a pet. It's a mount. Anybody who's played an MMO should know that. Uh, I th- I would accept that. I mean, black. It's blacky. Mm, nope. Sorry, Dingus. You can't accept it. It's a mount. <laughs> it's but a, not a flying mount <laughs> or an epic mount. Uh, here we go. Uh, oh no! Oh god! Oh, I need to change one of my answers now. This is awesome, Nick. All right, here you go. <laughs> Jesus! Oh, my God! All right, here's the quote. 
Oh, good lord. <laughs> oh, God. Please stop. Okay, here we go. Here's the quote. Anybody feel like grabbing a couple of burgers and hitting the cemetery? Uh, and I'll even further the quote. Oh, you've got one here, too, don't you? I don't know what you're talking about. Animal House? <sighs> Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> the pet here is Buckley. Oh, Ari Buckley. Yep, Ari Anuzi's pet dog. After Owen Wilson crashes his car into the Royal Tenenbaums house, poor Buckley takes one for the family. But this leads to the movie's emotional payoff and the best acting of Ben Stiller's career, that one line, which I can't really say without tearing up, I've had a rough year, Dad. I know. Very nice. <laughs> All right, very good, Nick. Those are good. All right, let's see. Hey, dogs. What's the hound dog? My favorite line is that hound dog line. There. Oh, oh, yeah, something about that old. Saying, who's that old hound dog? Because I don't actually like, as much as I love Royal Tenenbaums, I hate that moment. I think it's so... What moment? Where he, Buckley? Where he, hit, where he kills Buckley. I think it's such... I think Did it's, you hate that moment in, uh, in uh, Moonrise Kingdom? Buckley wasn't in Moonrise Kingdom. No, but another dog. It's an arrow. Yeah. I like, you know what, Dingus? I like when Wes Anderson kills pets. I don't, I don't like that. It feels so manipulative in a different way. Just because Owen Wilson runs the car into the house and happens to run over Buckley, I really don't like that at all. It was time for Buckley to die, Dingus. Well, it's all hey. that's a good point. <laughs> Do Wolfman count? All right, Philip Torda, one of our uh, faithful sub, uh, submission three by three submitters. Uh, number three, what? Submit. No, I'm not even going to read his number three. That's terrible. Number two, oh, I will read that. his number three. He's he's claiming that the master's pet Blaster from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome no. is murdered right after it's revealed he's not evil but merely misunderstood. No, not a pet. Again, a mount. That's a mount, not a pet. Midgets <laughs> uh, are mounts, according to So what if, what if a monkey rides a dog? Does that count? Dingus, that's, fu- that's funny in any language. <laughs> what about Mr. Nelson? Philip Torta's <laughs> number two pick. I like this one. Specific- I specifically like this one because I forgot Philip Torta lists the director in the year, and I completely spaced on the director. I'm not even sure I knew this. Kelly Wan, who directed Beastmaster? Uh, I think Tanya Roberts did. Is that a really? Out and is, made that, is Beastmaster really a Don Coscarelli movie? The Phantasm uh, guy? Probably. He's made some other dumbass movies, too. Wow. Uh, anyway, Philip Torta writes, The Beastmaster's ferret, Kodo, heroically <laughs> sacrifices himself by leaping onto Rip Torn's neck and making him fall into the fire at the top of the ziggurat. <laughs> I forgot Rip Torn was in it. <laughs> made I know effective. what all of those mo- words mean, but together, I don't know. Uh, and Philip adds, made effective due to the ferret being a better actor than the Beastmaster. Aw. Isn't Mark Singer the Beastmaster? Of course. Yeah, he's alright. He's, he's not a bad actor. God, I got to see that again. Uh, Philip Torta's number one pick is The Fly 2. Oh, yeah, the dog. Uh, yeah, Martin Brundle euthanizes his telepodded golden retriever. I like that we can use telepodding as a verb. Uh, Martin Brundle euthanizes his telepodded golden retriever that looks like living roadkill after discovering it has been kept alive for two years and not killed like the evil CEO said. Made memorable due to the puppetry and the way the dog protests when the rag is put over its nose. Ugh. 
Yeah, it's really depressing. Uh, and oh. then Phillips' runner-up is uh, when Hooch dies in Turner and Hooch. Ah. <laughs> I do love this. I was in a bar I was at once, and everyone cheered when the dog died, when Hooch died, because they were drunk. I don't think they were. Paying. Uh, what was that? Dingus, you love what? I just love the dog protests as a title. Protests. Uh, Peter That's- Haynes. Peter Haynes, who is uh, coming to us from a UK email address and opens with, what ho, gents? Oh, oh so that's what ho means over there. Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> says, thanks for the podcast and also for the QT3 goes to Sesame Street counting lesson last week. <laughs> what was that? What was that? Uh, you remember what we say. He writes, I have a single contribution for this week's 3x3 on effective use of X pets. And by the way, even if they're, when they're dead, they're still pets. Or 10 pets, maybe he means. Uh, okay. Here's his quote. What the heck is that? Oh, good lord. What the? I do not recognize this quote. He writes, wait a minute, this can't be right. Kelly Wand, you should get, you would get, what is I'm this really movie good. from? Here we go. Smegma Crazies to the Left, The Gate. Gay Boy Berserkers to the Gate. Uh, either Carrie or... I do not remember this dialogue. Barry Lyndon. Anyway, uh, Peter writes, and Peter, this is awesome that you bridge this because this makes me need to see the movie again. <laughs> Peter writes, this is, of course, Mad Max 2, a.k.a. The Road Warrior, the moment being where the humongous men kill Max's fateful bandana-wearing companion with a crossbow. The humongous himself makes many references to his dogs of war and later calls one of his lieutenants his, quote, puppy. Thus, the marauder leader describes his men as belligerent pack animals or inexperienced youths. Contrast this with Max's pet, Gray of Muzzle, with whom he barely shares a word and is shown to be a smart and loyal aide to Max on his long journey to who knows where in the last of the V-8 interceptors. I like to think Max proceeds to mess up the humongous's gang in revenge, given that he has already carelessly lost his only other humans to whom he was close – namely his wife and kid in the last movie, uh, and he fails to fill in the adoption papers for the feral boy. Oh, sorry, sorry, Peter. It's the feral kid, I'm afraid. Oh. Uh, and he fails to fear in, fill in the adoption papers before setting off on his climactic mission. They call uh, them very- boys in England. <laughs> oh, okay. Very good, Peter. And man, smegma crazies to the left. The gate. Gay boy berserkers to the gate. I did not remember that there were things called gay boy berserkers in Road Warrior, but it makes sense. Um, it should be gate boys. Uh, I'm uh, not do you remember that movie Red with the Jack Ketchum read about the dog? Well, let's hold off for, for runners up. Oh, I'm going uh, to hold up. I'm, I'm not going to accept this runner up from Peter, uh, and I don't think Dingus will as well. Peter Haynes claims that Agent Coulson was kind of Samuel L. Jackson's pet in The Avengers. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, Kelly One, I've also been instructed to tell you, you are a genius. What? Bum, so bum, Peter bum. Haynes, that's what Peter Haynes signs off with. Peter Haynes from the UK wants me to tell you you're a genius. I think you mix up I'm Tom's pet and then Agent <laughs> Coulson's a genius. Fred and Lynn, it's funny, uh, immediately after sending their email, there's one uh, where the subject matter is just a series of – the subject header is just a, a string of profanities because they apparently forgot uh, a better entry than these three here. Uh, so let's see. These three are Old Yeller, The Boiled uh, Bunny and Fatal Attraction, and Turner uh, and Hooch. 
Uh, Wow, I can't imagine they send those in and thought of something better. (laughs) Rapid. Yeah, and so their their attempt to change their answer, which we, of course, won't accept, is the dog in National Lampoon's vacation. Uh, Paul Weimer writes, (laughs) I'm going to forego the obvious choice, mainly because I don't want Tom to accuse me of watching Grandpa movies again. You know, Paul, there's... There's no shame in that. Plenty of people are old, and those are the movies they know, and they watch them. That's okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> we just, I, I just was listening to the preview for Bad Grandpa. Thank you. <laughs> I'm a genius. <laughs> Don't hurt uh, me. Don't hurt me. Paul Weimer's number three pick is Samantha the Dog, the loyal friend of Will Smith's Robert Neville in I Am Legend. It's heartbreaking that Neville, serum unsuccessful, has to keep his only companion from turning into a monster in the only way left. Uh, Paul's number two pick, the boiled bunny in Fatal Attraction. If we didn't have a clue that Glenn Close's Alex is a psychopath by this point, this scene clenches it. And Paul's number one pick is... What? Artax in the never-ending story? What the heck is that? Who's uh, I, I was rather surprised that a kid's film would have a beloved talking pony drown in a swamp. What? <laughs> Wait, now I want to see it. Uh, with Atriu, character's name, struggling and failing to save him. That title always turned me off because I like stories that have endings. So I'm like, fuck that. But now that, yeah, that happens. Isn't it Wolfgang Peterson too? Like, doesn't didn't he do Dust Boot and then the Never Ending Story? No, I think it was the first Wolfgang. Stop Peterson. it, not too. Really? Am I wrong about that? All right, somebody look it up while I read. I love saying this name out loud. I invite everyone listening to say it with, uh, not with me because you don't know it, but to say <laughs> it. That would be cool if you can. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> <laughs> Say this after me. Uh, this submission like is from Zdenek Buchlak. <laughs> I don't no worries. Come on, Kelly Wan, say it. Kelly Wan, please say Zdenek Buchlak. Say it. Zdenek Buchlak. Oh, it is fun. See? I was just uh, jealous. It's Christian Morosky. <laughs> so uh, Zdenek, uh, Dingus, you'll like this, says, my. he writes, my best worst dying pet is a wolf called Two Socks from the movie slash book <laughs> Dances with Wolves. Two Socks is killed by army soldiers when he tries to follow captured Dunbar. It's a great symbol of loyalty and the bond between him and the wild animal. Are those just dancing socks? Oh, I uh, love Zedenic Bootlock. Thank you, Zedenic Bootlock. Uh, Dingus, let's get it. Do it here, Dingus. Zedenic Bootlock. Do it, Dingus. Zedenic Bootlock. Awesome. Uh, a few minutes before this Probably scene... Bigger. A few minutes before this scene, Dunbar's horse is killed. Based on his history with this horse, Cisco, you can consider this as my pick number two. Zedinic, sorry, horses are mounts, not pets. Uh, Zedinic writes, thanks for the podcast. Please continue with a great job. And, oh, I love Zedinic Buchlock even more. He sends greetings from Prague. Oh. But he does feel the need to point out that he means the one in the Czech Republic, not the one in Oklahoma. Oh, fuck Phew. that guy. Ugh, fuck. We're at war with them. Oh, no, that's the Oklahoma one. I'm sorry. Uh, Zdenek Buchlock furthermore signs off as Mr. You Won't Be Able to Pronounce It Right Anyway. Well, Zdenek Buchlock, I've got news for you. I've been saying your name 110% right, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Math boy speaks. <laughs> Tom can't even say his own name right. A hundred, uh... <laughs> Uh, all right, our runners up. What, what else do you guys have? 
Uh, besides the ones I was gibbering about interrupting you constantly. Well, what, you, you mentioned some good ones. Oh, Red from Jack Ketchum. Absolutely. That's a great one. I love that's definitely my runners up. Yeah. Uh, the dog in Amityville Horror, they go back for and it lives. So it's like the one horror movie where the dog lives. So that's not on my list <laughs> as a runner up, I guess. Uh, in The Hills Have Eyes. Oh, uh, the, the, the remake. Yeah, exactly. The, the German Shepherds who. They're in the, the old one. The, the Hills. Oh, I didn't know that. I should see. Should I see the old one, the original? Uh, yeah, it's really good. It's like trashy Wes Craven, isn't it? Um, I remember really liking it, and it's the same named German Shepherds in the same fates. Well, I was so proud of Alexander Aja's script, and it's from the original. Oh, I didn't he stole that. the you know, he stole the dog, death huh. and life. Uh, but that's the, a good choice too. Actually, I would yeah. put that on my list. I can't regret it. You, you just go dogs. Every dog. One of my uh, a, a runner-up for me in notes for a notes on a scandal, uh, which is about a relationship between Judy Dench and Kate Blanchett. Uh, when Judy Dench's cat dies, she is really upset, and she really wants Kate Blanchett to spend time with her to console her. And Kate Blanchett is just so busy with family stuff, and. While Judy Dench is literally chasing her down the street almost, you know, her family is like yelling at her in a car, and it's just this terrible chaotic scene, which is a huge rift between the two women, uh, based on Judy Dench's cat dying. Um, what about Abby in Paranormal Activity? That's what I was going to ask. Does she actually die or just go to the vet? It's- oh, I think she died. Doesn't Tom she- convinced us that she died, and we were all, I don't know. Well, that that's one of my favorite dogs. I'm just not sure if she dies or just goes to the vet. Do you know what? I like Dingus. I like the way you tell the story. Abby's fine. She just went to the vet. Yeah. But that little baby Tyler got eaten by the Katie Featherstone demon. Yeah, and what's a baby but a pet? <laughs> yeah, better way to go. <laughs> uh, other runners up, you guys. Uh, one of my favorites is from a TV show. The thing is, oh, okay. all right. Well, if we were doing Dingus, let's pretend that this was the quarter to three TV podcast, and the three by three was best worst dead pets. What would you mention? I'd mention the frog Greenpeace in WKRP in Cincinnati. What? Yeah, <laughs> I could have sworn frogs could jump. <laughs> no, good lord! Way to butcher the quote. As God is my witness, I thought frogs could jump. <laughs> Uh, also, I... also, Kelly Wand, it's not the feral boy, it's the feral kid. Feral kid. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, in the movie Manhunter, I was going to choose the family pet, but then I thought about Freddie Lowndes, the reporter, and how in the book, I don't know if the movie does this, but I think, I think it does, The Will Graham talks about Freddie Lowndes, the reporter, as, uh, as talking about Freddie Lowndes as the pet. That um, and that's why Dollaride kills him. So that's a that's a great pet death, but not a pet. Not really. <laughs> Neither a pet nor a mount. Not even a mount. I think is. Well, no. <laughs> uh, all right, so. Uh, Dingus, it is now down to you to tell us what we're going to have to think of over the course of this coming week for next week's 3x3. What do you got for us? Okay, one of the things I loved about um, Elysium was how Jodie Foster kept saying the word habitat. Um, <laughs> how did, wait, how did, I don't remember that, so I need you to help me out, Dingus. How did Jodie Foster say the word habitat? Habitat. <laughs> she just kind of like snapped the, the word. Felice habitat. <laughs> Feliz Habitat. 
Okay. So, uh, these are your three favorite outer space habitats. <laughs> Do you hear that, Tom? What do you think about that? Oh, I don't know. Dingus. There's not that many. <laughs> That's as dumb as anything I've ever seen. <laughs> you hear that, Dingus? <laughs> That's what I was going for. <laughs> All right, so... See you in uh, two weeks, girl, female <laughs> listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Dingus is pick. <laughs> if, if you have any ideas for uh, outer space habitat... Send us directly so we can so we want three to do other podcasts. Yeah, send those in to 3 by 3 at quarter2three.com. That's the number 3, the letter X, the number 3, and then at, and you spell out, quarter2three.com. Remember, follow us on Twitter at QT3. Like us on Facebook. Please, please rate us on iTunes. Man, we love that when you do that. Uh, and this week, join uh, see a movie called Ain't Them Bodies Saints. We don't know what it is, but we're uh, going to see it this week, and then we're going to do a podcast on it next week because none of us, except Kelly Wan, wants to see Kick-Ass 2. I want to. <laughs> so, Kelly Wan, you can go. Uh, What's this other fucking thing? Which <laughs> <laughs> probably isn't playing anywhere in PC. <laughs> it will be probably limited release. Uh, Kelly Wan, I love the idea that you know nothing about it because that puts you in the same spot as me and Dingus. But no, no, no one's going to see it. It puts us in the same spot as all our listeners who are going to go see Kick-Ass 2 and won't see – what is it called? Uh, Ain't Them Bodies Saints. I don't want to see this. <laughs> well, too bad. You have to see it and twist it off. Them bodies saints. Remember how it felt doing the podcast for Don McKay? <sighs> That's not how it felt. You're wrong. Ain't them bodies saints row four. Uh, so uh, join us for that. I am Tom Chick. I've been joined by uh, Christian Malinsky. It's Christian Morosky. Uh, I don't think so. And uh, Kelly Wand. Abby Normal Activity. Hi guys. What? Ain't them body saints. La la. Uh. And. The winner is here again. Oh lord. Hop them home and here. Kelly, one of the alternative. Uh, do you know there's a new David Gordon Green movie out called Prince Avalanche? What? Why aren't we seeing that? What's it about? I see it, but, but I have no idea. It's Seth Rogen. Emil Hirsch and Paul Rudd are the two lead actors. That's all I know. And it's David Gordon Green. So it's a romance. Who knows? Uh, if you like iTunes, do a podcast about it. I figured out why the hippo did it. Ah, <laughs> oh, spoiler. <laughs> why the hippo did it. This week's book club movie. A personal journey.